Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. Please stay with me for the next 30 minutes where we'll have some motivation, inspiration, education, always, always done with no manipulation. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's our motto, and that's our job here. Not some human speculation, but accurate information from the canon of Scripture from the Bible. The flatline is the protective barrier you can have in your soul to stop the outside sources of adversity before they become the inside source of stress. By learning a flatline, 10 problem-solving devices, 10 unique problem-solving devices that we teach on this radio show. They're nothing new. This is nothing that I've discovered. This was taught by my pastor many years ago, and I've been reteaching it to you with his permission. And uh, this is dealing with age-old biblical doctrines that we learn, that we use, that, we, we, that what we say we deploy these into the main line of resistance in our soul because we have the opportunity to live a supernatural life. The Christian life is indeed a supernatural life with supernatural assets. The asset of God the Holy Spirit that indwells us and seals us. The asset of the living Word of God. The asset of Christ in us, the hope of glory, the mystery doctrine of the church. I mean, we have so many wonderful things available to us. And as we learn these things and utilize these things, we're able to live the supernatural life that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, lived and passed on to us. It's called simply the Christian life. It's a life where you don't have to worry. It's a life where you don't have to be afraid. It's a life where you have instantaneous interterrestrial communication with God the Father. It's called prayer. You can pray anytime, anywhere, any day, and you can get answers to your prayer. There are not very many people that can just pick up the phone and talk to God, but a Christian can. Unbelievable assets that we have. We have the confidence that we know he would never throw us under the bus. He said, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. The Bible says these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. We have the opportunity to become a brand new person in Christ, where the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. That's an amazing thing. and That's our life. And as we learn these problem-solving devices that God gives us, such as rebound, how to solve the problem of sin, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, how to solve the problem of our sin nature controlling us, and the faith rest drill, how to get victory over fear and anxiety in our life, and grace orientation and doctrinal orientation and having a personal sense of destiny, having a personal love for God the Father, an impersonal love for other people, having the happiness of Christ and being occupied with Christ. These are all tremendous problem-solving devices. We have all of those listed in a small booklet we'll send to you if you'd like to have it. No charge ever. Just let us know. We'll get it right on in the mail to you. We've been going through a study related to a book I've written recently called A Divine Pardon. This book has been used by God in a lot of different ways and right now is being used to a lot of people 
that are incarcerated, that have need for a pardon. We've been talking about the divine pardon that God gives us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as anointed son. I want to describe the opposing attitudes of arrogance and humility for you because when we wrapped up our last radio show, we talked about how arrogance always rejects authority. Arrogance can't handle authority, especially, listen carefully, especially if authority makes an unfair decision. And you have to remember something. The only perfect person is God. And so the police officer, uh, the, the principal of the school, even your parents, all are capable of making a wrong decision, making a decision wrongly. And that doesn't mean that you can reject their decision just because they made a mistake. I always tell the illustration that I heard years ago about a football coach who whipped the wrong kid for something that he didn't do and how that kid never complained, never told anybody until years later when another student actually fessed up to the coach at a reunion that he had whipped the wrong one. And the coach sought out the kid that he actually did whip and apologized to him and and asked him, why didn't you tell me I was wrong? I was so angry, I was so mad, I could have sworn that was you I heard cursing that teacher. And that student said, coach, it's okay. I just kept my mouth shut and took it. See, that's a humility attitude. You know, a person with arrogance would accuse you of disrespecting them. They'd get all mad, get all haughty, threaten to sue. I'm going to get my parents, and they'll come up here, and they'll sue, and yada, yada, yada. You know how that goes. Well, arrogant people cannot handle unfair authority. We all have to learn how to handle that. Sooner or later, you're going to be tested in this area. So the Bible defines arrogance as a feeling of superiority manifested in an overbearing manner. That's the dictionary, not the Bible, the dictionary. I took that out of Merriam-Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary. It is a, arrogance is a feeling of superiority manifested in an overbearing manner. On the other hand, on the it defines humility as a quality or the state of being humble. And that's a distinction that's very important in the Christian's life. Humility versus arrogance. React versus respond. The attitude of Jesus Christ was always one of humility. If there's ever a person who was treated unfairly, it's him. There were several unfair trials the night before he was crucified trying him in an unfair way with even lying witnesses and assaulting Jesus Christ before they ever put him on the cross. But he handled it. He didn't get mad. There's a song that someone sang one time that said he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he died alone for you and me. Whenever you're treated unfairly, if you get angry, if you get mad, if you get bitter, if you lash out, that's a sign of your arrogance. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not have an old sin nature. He did not sin. He didn't get into arrogance. And I hope you will learn what arrogance is. It's a a false pride. It's a sin. And it motivates us to commit many more sins. It's a mental attitude sin. And arrogance is a corrupter of everything you do and everything you say. And it's a guaranteed sure sign that your old sin nature is in control of your life. Uncontrolled arrogance, out-of-control arrogance can destroy you. 
can distract you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it can divorce you from reality and destroy any capacity that you might have for some type of love or happiness in this world. Arrogant people can't handle authority. Arrogance motivates all sorts of emotional sins and hatred and anger and self-pity and jealousy and violence, even murder. And I realize there are occasionally reasons why we must defend ourselves, and sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do, but that's not related to an arrogant attitude. When a person is infected with unrestrained anger, he's not able to think, he's not able to control his decisions, and more than likely he's going to harm himself and harm someone else. For example, Cain murdered Abel, his brother, in the Bible. The Bible says Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time her brother Abel. The Bible says Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and he was very proud of his offering. And Abel, who was very humble, also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. That means he got ticked off. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why are you so mad? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over that sin. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they in the field that Cain rose up and killed Abel. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? God said, what did you do? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Read that for yourself in Genesis 4, verses 1 through 10. You can read how Cain murdered his brother, Abel, because he was jealous of Abel and jealous of the attention that God showed him and Cain reacted, this is what arrogance does, reacted to God's rejection of his own offering and took out his bitterness and his jealousy on his brother. You want to know why God accepted the offering of Abel? Because it was a lamb, a picture of Jesus, the lamb of God, without spot and without blemish. The other was a picture of works. Works, look what I did. I worked hard. I produced this. I manufactured this. And now I'm giving it to you, and I want you to accept it. It's my works. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have. No. For by grace are we saved through faith. It's a gift from God, not by works. As any man should brag about it. And right here in Genesis 4, you have the difference between a works salvation going to heaven, impressing God because of something you did, and a grace salvation, going to heaven and being accepted by God because of something the Lamb did. Arrogance has to be controlled. You know why? Because if you don't, it will motivate revenge. And 
Revenge can cause you to do some pretty dumb, stupid things. The Bible talks about some sin, and there are the big ones in the Bible. For example, in Proverbs twelve fifteen, there are six sins the Lord hates, even seven that are disgusting to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent people, a mind that devises wicked plans, feet that are quick to do wrong, a dishonest witness spitting out lies, and a person who spreads conflict among relatives. That's Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. Now listen to Proverbs 11, 2 and 3. Arrogance comes before shame. Excuse me, back that up. Arrogance come and then comes shame. But wisdom remains with humble people. Did you hear that? Wisdom remains with humble people. That's a humility profile. Integrity guides decent people, but hypocrisy leads treacherous people to destroy themselves. Proverbs 11, 2 and 3. And then in Proverbs 12, 15 and 16, a stubborn fool considers his own way the right way. But a person who will listen to advice is wise. When a stubborn fool is irritated, he shows it immediately. But a sensible person will hide the insult. See, arrogant people like to believe they're justified in everything they do. They overlook their own failures. They have the idea that, uh, that, that the rules are for others and not for them. It's a sort of a self-justification attitude that they make excuses for themselves, and they often blame their situation on someone else. That's the very first stage of arrogance. It's called self-deception, which keeps them from seeing life with any objectivity. And finally, arrogant people get into some sort of self-absorption. So we have self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption. When you lose all standards, you know you would be willing to do anything to ease your own unhappiness. And arrogant people have completely disregarded anyone but themselves. Do you know what the most arrogant thing in the world is? It's religion. That's right, religion. Arrogant people usually have a very unrealistic self-image of themselves because they don't see themselves as God sees them. There is no bigger turnoff to me, and maybe to you, than an arrogant person who's also religious. He never sees his own flaws. He never sees his own failures, but he's really good at seeing yours. For example, the religious man may think he's gaining God's favor because he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. And he'll look down his nose at anyone that does. And if you put him out in the public, he presents some squeaky clean image. But he doesn't fool God, I assure you. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, As a man thinks in his heart, that's the real man. So he is. This arrogance is a subject seldom discussed in a church. And for a good reason, I promise you, because... The concept of organized religion is very arrogant to start with. See, not like Christianity. Christianity is a relationship between God and man 
through man's faith in the saving work of Christ. But religion, that's like Cain. Religion is man's attempt to gain approval from God by what he does. So it's the height of arrogance to think that you, like Cain, thought you can earn your way into heaven by being good or by following some religious code. The Bible said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name did I not cast out devils and do many wonderful things? And he said, I will tell them, I never knew you. God is not impressed by religious activity. He's not impressed by church membership. Sure, Christians need to go to church, and sure, Christians need to belong to a church, but that's not how you get saved. That's what you do because you're saved. Self-inflated attitude of self-righteousness or the putting the big bucks in the offering plate, that doesn't get you saved. Salvation does not come through some sort of works or false goodness, like obeying the golden rule. You may say, I do unto others. You don't do unto others. That's not going to, that's not it. These qualify as works and totally contradict the grace principle of God. The principle I've explained to you so many times before. I told you, did you hear me? We're all sinners. There's nothing, nothing, nothing we can do to gain God's approval by our own efforts, by our own means. We don't earn, we don't deserve an eternal relationship with God. It's simply God and his gracious attitude towards us. He provides everything we need. All we have to do is accept it. Anything other than that neutralizes your faith. How do I know that? God so loved the world. Put your name there. God so loved you so that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The what motivated God to send his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into the world? His love for you. His love for me. If we accept that, if we accept the gift that God gives us, the gift of forgiveness, we don't earn it. We don't buy it. We don't purchase it. We just do what the Bible says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, this is something the religious leaders of the Old Testament, like the Pharisees, didn't understand. Those Pharisees and Sadducees and all the members of the Sanhedrin, they saw Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as an irreverent lawbreaker. You know why? Because he socialized with prostitutes and tax collectors. Both of these types were hated in biblical times. So when Christ made it clear that he was the Son of God, the Pharisees became indignant. They went ballistic. And they began to plot his death. He told the disciples this was going on. He told the disciples he was going to be killed. And he told them three days later he'd walk out of the grave. Surely, the true son of God, these religious Pharisees and Sadducees, they did not think that he would ever associate with such unrighteous sinners. At least that's what they thought. But in reality, not only did he befriend these people, he guaranteed their eternal life. 
You know why? Because they knew what they needed. They knew the depth of their depravity. They knew their sin-infected lives and were not happy with themselves. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they didn't know anything. They thought they were perfect. They thought they're related to Abraham. They're going to get in on their relationship to being a Jew, and we observe the law of Moses, and we're into the kingdom. Wrong. Jesus Christ guarantees for us, all of us, eternal life by means of the act of grace that he provided. And what he provided flew in the face of those religious leaders because they thought they could work their way into heaven. And you can't. Again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and it is not the result of works. It is a gift from God, lest any man would brag about it. The Pharisees and the religious leaders in the times of Christ our Lord were so struck by their own self-righteousness that they were offended by this principle of grace. It upset them that their good works were not good enough to measure up to God's absolute perfection and righteousness. Thus, they determined to kill Jesus Christ, an innocent man. John eleven fifty three. listen to the words. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. And things are really no different today, are they? When it comes to some sort of organized religion, which also emphasizes works, by the way, rather than faith, even now, today, many religious people in their arrogance cannot, will not, ever accept the fact that God's gift of salvation is available to all people, regardless of whatever sin they may have committed. It's available to all people, and that angers people. See, they're the goody-two-shoes. They never did anything like you did. How could you go to heaven? You talk about self-righteousness, bitterness. They look at their life and they say, I'm a good person. I've never done anything wrong. Why would God not save me? But look at you. You Look what you've done. God can't save you. And the answer is, yes, he can. And yes, he probably has if you let him. They can't stand the fact that God's impartial. They can't stand that. It drives them nuts that we're imperfect and that our eternal life is 100% guaranteed by God because of whom and what he is, not because of them and what they are. That's why people reject Christ for that very reason, and they lose out on the opportunity to be delivered from the lake of fire in eternity, and that's the worst mistake anybody could make. Humility is unbelievable. In sharp contrast to self-inflated attitudes of religion, humility starts with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5 says, who humbled himself. Humbled himself. We see this in the way he handled the unfair treatment, the treatment he received while he was on the earth. The Bible says he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a bondservant, became in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself, became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. What is humility? 
Does it mean you're going to walk around all day with your shoulders slumped over and your eyes on the ground? No. Does it mean you're to act like some wimpy, wimpy person never able to hurt a fly? No. Humility refers to your respect for authority, whether it's fair or unfair, because God is always in charge. When someone in charge of you makes a decision that you deem unfair and you don't like it, you got one or two decisions. You can react with bitterness or you can respond with forgiveness. Arrogant people can't handle unfair treatment. They can't forgive anybody. They get mad. They blow up. They run their mouth. They make all sorts of threats. And people with humility, they know they're getting a bad deal. They keep their mouth shut. And they handle the situation by forgiving the person that did it. You and I can only manage to do this when we learn to think like Christ thought. When we achieve through the renovation of our thinking, his attitude, his thoughts. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. How do I get it? The Bible is the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. And I'm to renovate my thinking. Stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance, Romans 12.3. But think in terms of humility as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. As you learn God's word, as you apply God's word into your life, you grow. You grow in grace and knowledge. You develop a flat line in your soul. And you renovate your thinking. You begin to think in a different way. You don't think the way you used to think in revenge, motivation, and inordinate competition. You think in terms of humility, forgiveness, respect, honor, integrity. What a great way to live. To be able to lay down at night and close your eyes and not be mad at yourself because of some stupid thing you did but to enjoy the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life as it controls your sin nature and to enjoy the promises of the Word of God that you've learned and you've tapped into and you're counting on to deliver you. God is perfectly fair, perfectly just, and he knew in eternity past where you were and what you'd be facing. He will not throw you under the bus. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Remember these things. Remember the difference between arrogance and humility. And remember the divine pardon God offers each one of us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And please remember to come back next week. Same time, same place. Until then, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flotline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.